Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337 706-0111 on this Wednesday. Kind of strange because we didn't have a show yesterday, but that is, um, you know, we can handle a little bit of a curveball here. Very busy Wednesday around these parts anyway. Obviously, the men and women, like we've been talking about since last week, Sunbelt Conference finishing Wednesday, Friday, instead of the traditional Thursday, Saturday, Double header at the Cajun Dome starting at 5, starting at 6, the home opener for the Cajun baseball team. Softball had a great victory yesterday, and we'll get into all of that. But before we do that, I don't know I don't know how aware or uh, I don't, Dawson wasn't around for any of this, but our friend uh, Candy Corn Man has struck again. You know, first he brought us – Thanksgiving day or Thanksgiving dinner, candy corn, green bean can casserole, candy corn, and the like. And then he brought us Mexican food truck candy corn. That had a couple interesting churros and stuff like that. It was some of it was pretty good. And now we have something I never heard of, never even thought about hearing of. Um, we had a little game night last night, and thanks to his wife, Mandy, and um, our friend Deacon, you know, we won the first first game, and, and, and so, you know, you got to celebrate the victories. But um, he also brought something called crawfish boiled fudge. Have you ever heard of this, Dawson? Crawfish boiled fudge. The answer to whether I've heard of this is a quick and astounding no. <laughs> I never heard of this either. But but we'll, we'll, we'll have to try it. It's got a little reddish tint to the fudge, as you might imagine. I wonder if... I wonder if Andy Dalton's ever had crawfish boiled fudge. It's got a little red tint to it. Is it? I mean, does it appear to look like what fudge would look yeah, like? Look. Okay, I'm like, yeah. It just got a little red tint to it. Yeah, I don't know if I feel better or worse after seeing it. Probably about the same. <laughs> I'll um, we'll get, give you a bite during the break. Are you an experimenter? I'll yeah, I'll try it. Yeah, I but it, it, it I I tried it last night. You know, you can kind of taste the difference, but it's not that different. Than, it's not dramatically different. It's not like, um. It, you probably would like it more than you would have liked the green bean casserole candy corn. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like the, the jelly bean game. You ever played that game where you don't know if you're going to get a good one or a bad one? And then so one flavor, it, it could either be like, you know, orange or it could be like toe cheese, the flavor. Oh, yeah, you we just don't eat want it. That. That's what that sounds like to me. You, just, <laughs> you don't know if the candy corn is going to be green bean casserole or just actual candy, which actual candy corn is not great to begin with, but, I mean, I could eat actual regular candy corn. Yeah, if I, had I actually like candy corn. Most people make fun of it. I, I, I kind of like candy corn. But um, I don't know. 
I don't know where he finds all this stuff, but he does. All right. So yesterday, while many of us were either Mardi Gras or enjoying a day off or mostly a day off, um, the Cajuns were finishing up. The softball team was finishing up their Florida trip. And, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, beating UCF or Central Florida, they don't like being called Central Florida anymore. They'd be calling UCF. But was, you know, if they'd have won four to three in ten innings, I'd have said, man, that, that's, a, that's a nice win. You know, this is a team that beat Michigan eight to two. They beat Mississippi State in the uh, Clearwater Invitational. They lost in extra innings to Alabama. They lost in extra innings to Duke. I mean, they're a pretty good club. They hosted a regional last year. And the Cajuns didn't just win. They beat them eight to nothing in five innings with, you know, look, I'm not a big, the no-hitter thing. People, I mean, the if the player, if it's important to the player, then great. But, I'm not, you know, the no-hitter is good, but it's good that you held them down, whether it was a no-hitter or not, it was what it was. But Megan Sharman pitched very well through a five-inning no-hitter, walked one, struck out four. And Alexa Langoliers hits a double and two three-run homers and has seven RBIs in the game. So just very impressive. Again, it... All of those details are something we can discuss, but the important thing is they got a win, a nice win on the road against a you know a team that you figure is going to win a lot of games. The Cajuns uh, are now six and five, and Central Florida fell to five and six. But and then you know they've got they're going to play LSU over the weekend, and they still got games against Florida and Baylor and you know good teams. Texas. And so it's just nice. It was nice to see that their their confidence obviously didn't wane any because they lost five in a row in Clearwater. Did you watch the game? I did not. This is the second time I had to deal with it. And again, I don't want to be a complainer on this show, but I had to deal with it with UL against Rice. There was this camera behind the home plate, and it was, like, blurry the whole game. You couldn't even make it out what was going well, on. Well, it was that way for the, some of the Clearwater games where there was just huge spots yeah, on I the camera. I, I don't know. But anyway, I, no, I, yeah. I, yeah. It was great. And, uh, and they well, they got it. They wiped the lens off, I guess, because about the fifth inning, I started being able to see, which, unfortunately, the game only lasted five innings. But, yeah. Um, no, it was good. And Langlier's, I mean – Right now, I, and that's what I said on the first show, you're, you're still kind of depending on big performances so far. It's been like whether it was Carly and this time it was Langlier's, but that's okay as long as you've got different girls coming up in those situations and, and, and being the hero. Um, yeah, about as good as you could have looked in a, in a game. And, and maybe, you know, look, you, you thought they'd be really worn down at the end of a Florida trip, and they, they found it in them, and they, they had the off day Monday. But that was impressive considering what they had gone through over the weekend to come out and, yeah, like you said, not just win the game but dominate. So, the funny thing is it doesn't get any easier, right? They'll have they'll have the interesting crossover tournament where you'll have Corpus Christi uh, sandwiched between LSU twice each, and then they'll play Ole Miss on that Monday. So you got three more games against primetime opponents within the next week. So you don't really have a whole lot of time. You get a few days off here, and then you got to get right back to playing some really good teams. And I, I don't know that I've e- I ever really do a good job explaining this, but – 
I want to go ahead and do it anyway. Baseball, softball is not baseball, but it's fairly close. It's not, you cannot look at those like football. Like, I know that we all, because we're in the South and football is so big, we look at everything through the kind of with a football mentality. And that's why every once in a while we, we, you know, I, I hearken back to Skip Berkman in the late 80s, early 90s when uh, he had to constantly or, you know, remind people that's a football question. Um, this is not football, it's baseball. But what I mean by that is it, it, it's not like, like I try to explain, it's not like you get up to a level where you learn how to ride your bike and then it just, you know how to ride your bike for the rest of your life. It, it, it's, it's not like that. Like, it's not like, well, once you start doing this in baseball and softball, you know, you could go, you know, seven for seven with seven grand slam home runs. And then you could go oh for 22 in your next 22 at bats. I mean, it, it's not like you you get to this level and you stay there. It's constant up and down and up and down and up and down. So, it, it you know, you don't just achieve, like you say, well, we got this. Well, that might not be there. Baseball and softball is more like a hacker's um, golf game. As soon as you get it done on the tee box and everything, and, and you struggle and and you, and you struggle on the tee box and everything else is going good, then once you fix yourself on the tee box and typically your putting goes or your iron game goes or whatever. I mean, I'm not talking about I'm talking about a hacker golfer. That's kind of what happens. It's like it, it's it's a constant up and down. It's not once you get to that level. Well, that's good and it st- it stays fixed that way for the rest of the season. Doesn't work that way. You got to constantly redo it over and over and prove it over and over again. Like if you go through a stretch where you play a series and you're great defensively, that doesn't mean you're going to be great. You're not just like, it's not locked in. You got to play good defense the rest of the the season. Just because so-and-so starts hitting doesn't mean she's going to hit or he's going to hit for the rest of the season. So I just hear that every once in a while in baseball and softball analysis, and I just want to – it's all up and down. It, that's just how baseball is. Now, the good teams do the good stuff way more often than the bad teams do or the mediocre teams do, and that's why over the long haul, you know, their record is what it is and their seeds are what, what it is once you get into postseason play. But – um. You know, the the most disappointing thing so far in both of them is just all the walks, especially on the baseball side. Just so many walks. And the and freebies is something that Coach Deggs harped on all of last season. And he kind of harped on it in the offseason a little more from the offensive standpoint of like, man, we got to get more freebies as an offensive team to match up what everyone else is doing at a level, you know, top 16 or so teams in the country uh, is kind of how he framed it. But, you know, you also got to, you know, in other words, like if you want to use a football analogy, like 
your turnover margin, there's, I guess, two ways. You could do like the Saints did in 09, force 30-something turnovers, or you could do like other teams do where you don't hardly ever fumble the football or don't hardly ever throw an interception. So you can get to plus 12, plus 15 if you never turn over the football. So, you know, you, you, there, there's two ways of doing it. Coach Deggs is hoping that they, they get more walks, but he sure doesn't want to have to, you know, walk 80 times to get to plus 10 because he's because his pitching stats walk seven. Yeah, you said it yesterday, and I, I kind of I thought you were exaggerating in what you said, and then I went back and looked at it, and you said almost basically everybody who pitched walked somebody. Every single Rage Cajun pitcher, with the exception of one, either walked or hit a batter. Even guys who threw two, two-thirds of an inning, guys who threw four innings. The only Rage Cajun pitcher to not walk somebody was Jerry Couch. He, he threw one inning. Um, but that's, that's concerning because that's not like one guy, which they did have one guy, Ben Tate, who walked six, who kind of raised that number. And Blake McGee, he also walked six. Now he threw a little bit more. But those guys inflated the overall number. But still, right. it's not like you had a couple of guys who had great innings and didn't walk in, every single one except for one. And... Even though Couch didn't walk somebody, he still gave up a run in his only inning. So it wasn't like he was even dominant. So, yeah, you didn't come away from any that saying anybody is is set and dominant in their role. So that's concerning. Now, a lot of them only walked one guy, so it's not necessarily an issue. But overall, yeah, that that was something we wanted to be better this year. And through one weekend, it hasn't been so far. It, it, it was not the case. All right, we'll do this. We'll take a timeout. And again, um, Almost two hours. Well, I think we're going to have one interview. It's kind of a unique Wednesday. Koki's on vacation, so we're not going to have him. Plus, it kind of feels like a Monday because we were off yesterday. But uh, mostly um, open. Uh, the game hotline will be open. And again, the number is 706-0111. We'll take a time out and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. It's very possible that most, somewhere between most to all of us, have never seen with our own eyes BYU play baseball. But a lot of Cajun fans will get a chance to see BYU play baseball when they open up a four-game series tonight at 6 o'clock at Russo Park. And BYU was in Ruston over the weekend for a four-game series and split it. And look, Louisiana Tech's good in baseball. We know that. The Cajuns have had quite a few good games with them over the years. And they had two pitching performances in that four-game series, which they split. Uh, one of them was by a starting pitcher. What a great name, Cutter Clawson. What a, I love alliteration, and that's a great name. He went in his in his season debut. He went six innings, gave up two hits, walked two, struck out nine, no runs. 
six shutout innings. Jack Sterner went seven innings in his season debut. Gave up one hit and one run with no walks and three strikeouts. Folks, those are really good lines at any time, but especially your first outing of the season. They also had a relief pitcher who had a really nice Mason Olsen who pitched two innings and and struck out eight and six and a third over two different outings out in relief. They also have two hitters. One of them hit 529 for the weekend with two bombs. Another one hit 471 for the weekend with two bombs. So um, had another, you know, guy hit 375 uh, and, and, and did some damage as well. So the point of all this is this is a good team. This team is, I think, on paper significantly better than Rice. Uh, Rice had one pitcher that did really well, and the rest of them didn't do very all that hot. And again, it's it's early in the season, so I don't want to blow up what they did against Tech bigger than it is. But I mean, there's every reason to believe this team's going to be quite a bit better than 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 Rice is. And they in uh, anytime you're going to face really good starting pitching, I mean, I can dominate a game. We've seen that old many times. Yeah, picked third in the West Coast Conference preseason, um, only behind Gonzaga, who was a tournament team last year, a really good team, um, and one other team. So they're going to be much better than Rice, I think. Now, maybe Rice is better than we think they are, but again, yeah, even on paper, it, Rice didn't look great going into that series, and then I think your eyes kind of told you that you might be right about what you thought, because they, they didn't seem like a great team. Maybe they'll get better. but um, And this is also a weird one because it's a Wednesday, so I'm interested to see... I think they already kind of talked about some of the pitching matchups, but given that you played a Friday through Sunday series, now you're playing a Wednesday through Saturday. Um, we'll see how both teams kind of do that. Guys who pitched on Friday and then pitched late into the weekend coming back on a Wednesday, especially the starters, uh, will be interesting to see how that's used. But like I've, I said it a little bit last week, any basically every scholarship arm who you expect to throw significant innings this year will throw at some point in this series. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Well, uh, on Monday, and look, these things change. We've seen it change, you know, within a day and within hours it could change. But on Monday, Coach Degg said that Brendan Moody, who got the save in the very first game, uh, is going to get to start tonight. And then Tommy Ray, who was kind of like that fourth or fifth option going in and just in general discussion, um, We'll, we'll start game two tomorrow, and then he's going to go. Blake McGee, he said, is having some you know inflammation or whatever, and he's not pitching this week. And so then he will go back to Jake Hammond, who was the opening day starter pitching on Friday, and then on Saturday will be Jackson Nezu. So, um, you know, we'll see. And, and again, if they, they may hit tremendously, and it may not matter as much, but – Obviously, like we talked about in the last segment, the first thing that they need to do is stop walking people and, you know, draw a fair. And they drew a fair share, their fair share of walks. They just walked more, way more than their fair share. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Now, again, this is, this is not a hitter's park. It hasn't been a, ever really been a hitter's park. And... But the way the Cajuns hope to play, where it's not all about home runs, they can hit a few home runs, but also run and be aggressive and 
put the ball in play and use their speed and you know their their top speed guys all got off to a slow start and and Max Moore shocking you know you you figure that's going to happen um you know again it's one, you know they played three games i mean it, it's not even really a start it's a series and so it's it's almost too soon to say someone's off to a slow start when they've played three games but but it's um you know, you figure Max is going to hit, and you figure Julian's going to hit, and et cetera. So we'll we'll, we'll see how. We, and again, CJ Willis got off to a great start. Doesn't mean at the, at the end of this series it can all change. And that's what I was talking about. Things are so, you know, up and down when it when it comes to that. So the point of all this is BYU on paper looks good, and this should be a really good test for a four game series. And could turn out to be some really good wins down the road if they end up, you know, being a top 50 to 60 club. And so we'll see how uh, that plays out. And then softball, as we already said, we'll have some really good uh, games over the weekend. In a different level of baseball, you know, I've been, well, not joking, but discussing that it was going to be a hammock season. And last week we discussed – what is taking the Astros so long to sign another kind of a utility player? Over the weekend, a couple reports. One of them is that it doesn't sound like they really think Brantley's going to be ready for opening day, which kind of is scary. Then it's then El Pedro Grande came or showed up and said he hasn't been swinging because he's having his hand issues, which he had you know off and on all of last season. Uh, and so those are like, you know, again, if if they miss a few weeks, it's not it's not the end of the world. But it also wonders, like, why haven't they signed someone? Now, another report that came out over the weekend is Mauricio Dubon supposedly went on this big eating binge to try to gain weight and get stronger um, to where he can be more of an offensive force. Now, will that impact his defense? We'll see. But um I don't know, just something that since we last spoke, I saw, and we'll see how how that plays out. But, again, I'm not even a jerks and pro four guy. I've never really liked him other than his name. He's got a great name. But um, they got to sign somebody, it seems like, unless they really think Dubon can be an offensive force. But that's just hard for me to believe because he was so bad offensively last year. So. We'll see how how that plays out. But so there's, you know, lot, lot lots of base college baseball season is starting. Spring training has begun. Not the games, but um, teams are all the players are reporting. So we're going to be getting those kind of reports in. So again, if you're an Astro fan, it's not time to panic or anything like that. But it is kind of curious to see what they're going to do, especially if El Pedro Grande, um, Jordan Alvarez, and and they call him Uncle Mike Brantley. Doesn't um, you know they're not available when when the season begins. And look, that's a long way away. So we're, we we got a long way before the actual regular season's going to begin. But when you're already talking injuries and you ain't even really taking a swing in spring training yet, it makes you kind of wonder how that's going to play out. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline, 337-706-0111, Something else that is taking place nationally. Got a lot of talk, of course. Over the last couple of days, while you may have been distracted by Mardi Gras festivities, Derek Carr, you know, you're hearing all these reports. They had this great visit with the Jets. Are the Jets going to sign Derek Carr? Are they going to wait for Aaron Rodgers? And, of course, the Lamar Jackson saga continues to go on and on and on. And we've been... Talking about that on this show even before it started becoming a daily conversation nationally because of the paranoia that he couldn't end up with the uh, Atlanta Falcons. I guess the only good thing, I, I just can't believe the Ravens would, one, decide not to re-sign him and then only get two first-round draft picks for him. So I wouldn't think they would go that route. Because I think there would be teams getting in line to give up just two first-round draft picks for them, including the Jets, probably including the Saints, as well as, of course, the Falcons, who we don't want him to go to. Look, if Lamar Jackson ends up going to the Jets, so be it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got no issue with that. Um, I was going to say I'd probably rather him go to the Jets and stay with the Ravens, uh, I guess. But I really don't care either way. If, you know, any any team he wants to go to, especially in the AFC, I'm all for it. Uh, theoretically, if he would go to the Jets, it might increase the Saints' chances of getting Derek Carr. Theoretically, that's the case. You know, who knows? Because you hear all these great reports does not mean that's where he's going, obviously. We've hopefully learned that by now. But, and I, I don't understand, like, this silly report that they're telling him that if he goes to the Jets, that he's going to become a Hall of Famer. I just... I mean, what does that even mean? Does that mean, like, if you come to the Jets and win a Super Bowl, even though your stats may not compare, like Joe Namath went to the Hall of Fame, so you're going to go to the Hall of Fame too? Like, is that just so New York is so big that if you win a Super Bowl here, I mean, Eli doesn't have Hall of Fame numbers, but he won too, so he's going to. I mean, but but what? I don't know that that doesn't, Derek Carr didn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to fall for that kind of silly talk. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a strange report. Yeah. Um, now, like, I understand sometimes it's just, and it's not that it's not true, because, again, ESPN, like, said it, and usually they check their sources, but I guess sometimes it's a weird little excerpt that maybe somebody heard and ran with and just threw it off to some sources and said, here's what was said. But, like, yeah, like, maybe that came up in conversation if they were talking about what his legacy could be or something like that. But, like, 
Is that going to be their pitch for him? Because also, the funny thing about this whole thing is it seems like they want to have their cake and eat it too because they're talking all sweet to Derek Carr, but they're still waiting for Aaron Rodgers, and the reports are that they're still, they still prefer Aaron Rodgers if he's available. Yeah. Now, you also saw a report today, which would not be good for Saints fans, that the Packers are still interested in Aaron Rodgers, supposedly. Now, I don't know if this is a confirmed report or not, but they, you know, I saw a report that as long as he's all in, they would like to have him back, which kind of goes against the other reports we've been hearing, which, of course, at this point, it's all reports, and we got to wait for something to actually yeah. happen. Again, none of them are reports. They're all speculation. Right. But um, if Rodgers does come out of his, um, you know, hibernation or whatever he's doing right now and say he wants to go back to the Packers, Again, that's kind of like the Brady news. It's bad news for the Saints because it's another quarterback off the market, oh, which means terrible the news. battle for Derek Carr oh, and terrible. the other quarterbacks yes. goes up even more. Terrible news. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here that they were discussing this morning uh, in a few places that I was that that is true is like if you're Aaron Rodgers, um. First of all, all in means you're going to show up for everything. You really do the Packers really think Aaron Rodgers is going to show up for everything? He has not given any indication that would be the case. The other thing is, if he goes to the Jets, how do you go to a new team and not show up for anything? If you're Lamar Jackson, you're in an even more strange situation. And that you have a new offensive coordinator, which theoretically is going to be a different system. So, like, you need to figure out what you're going to do so you can go learn the new offense in Baltimore or wherever you're going to be. So, I mean, I I guess it's – I mean, it, look, Brett Favre got traded in to the Jets in August. So – could that be done? Yes, it can be done. It has been done. And when you're Aaron Rodgers, I guess if you're the Jets, you'll take him whenever you get him, if that's the case. But I can't believe Derek Carr is going to wait around forever for Aaron Rodgers to decide what he's going to do. And I can't believe the Packers are going to really think that Aaron Rodgers is all in. Like, that sounds like one of those, um, you know, plausible deniability kind of things that you say. Like, if they're all, if he's all in, we want him. But but when was the last time he was all in? I, I, I So, I, man, I just can't. Look, I hope he goes to the Jets or wherever and, but it's going to be nice when, like, Tom Brady's, if he's really gone forever, and Aaron Rodgers gone forever, and it has nothing to do with dislike him. It's like, enough of this foolishness. Like, we went through this all of last year, and it seemed like the year before that. And now it's just a whole. I mean, it's just so funny because, again, years ago, many years ago, I said that guy is the most egotistical, arrogant athlete I have ever seen. And people looked at me like I was crazy when I said that. And now y'all know what I was talking about. That guy is, just like I told y'all the 49 a cheater's owner was a criminal and then he ended up in prison. What a surprise. But it's um, the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. But, but really, as a Saints fan, 
You have to hope he does not stay with the Packers. That's a great point. We got it's got it needs to happen. I'm hoping that Derek Carr says Derek Carr doesn't strike me as the kind of person that wants to go as someone's second or third fiddle. Well, that's that's what's the most interesting thing to me about all this is that is Derek Carr, which for all things and the reports on him and the or the speculation, all that. And I guess actually some real reports that said he's going to wait this out and kind of really evaluate his options and take his time, which, again, he has plenty of time. There's nothing that needs to happen in the next couple months. But is he going to let this Aaron Rodgers situation kind of take the narrative? And if Aaron Rodgers does finally come out and say, I'm staying with the Packers, then Derek Carr kind of walk back and happily be the Jets' second option? Is he okay with that? Because that might work in the Saints' favor if Derek Carr is the guy who wants to go, no, I want to go where I'm the guy uh, and not the second op. Now, maybe the Jets have portrayed this to him in a different way, and I'm sure they've tried to. Yeah. Portrayed it to him in a different way as if he's not the second option and that he is the guy they want. But, you know, what what could their logic be for waiting until Aaron Rodgers makes a decision to go for it? So we'll see what that happens. But, you know, one question I wanted to ask you before the break is, do you think Jordan Love's sick of sitting back there? And do you think if Rodgers decides to come back, maybe he tries to force his way out to one of these other destinations? And and would there be interest for him? I don't know if he's shown enough for anyone to really jump out at him. I don't but think there's any way to know what he is. Yeah, and 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 but he's got to be the guy who's sitting there because for a, for a few weeks now it's looked like he was going to be their guy, and now maybe which may, maybe nothing's changed, and Rodgers will you know still want to leave, but be interesting to see if he then comes out and says, you know what, I'm kind of done waiting around for y'all to figure out this Aaron Rodgers thing. Why don't you send me somewhere where I'm wanted? You know, I, the the early reports that we had once the offseason was not so much that Aaron Rodgers wanted out. It was that the Packers were tired of the whole Aaron Rodgers saga and they're ready to move on. Now, again, we don't know what's really true. That's just, it's all speculation, but. Man, I, I if the Packers felt that way, I could get it because I feel that way, and I don't, you know, I'm not even them, you know. They're the Packers, and we're the Saints. I mean, I, but I, uh, I, I, I could certainly understand it, but again, it still looks like we're looking at another three or four weeks before we know anything. Oh, it's going to be long, agonizing, drawn out. It it very well might be that it takes until free agency actually opens because Carr might really just wait until the first. He might not want to be. We thought for so long he was going to be the first domino. Now it's starting to look like maybe he doesn't want to be the first domino. Maybe he want to kind of wants to kind of see how things fall initially and then make his decision, which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I feel like you'd want to just go ahead and pick your team while you have yeah. your choice. But maybe, maybe some other teams have told him, look, we want to wait and see what happens, that he has more interest in. I don't know. It just seems like to me like you'd make, make your decision and want to go with it. But... I'm hoping that he he just got felt he probably felt a little betrayed by the Raiders organization, and instead of putting himself in a position to be betrayed again, that he just comes like you said to someone's first choice, which is certainly the case with with the Saints. So we will see. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that dental hygiene. 
This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline 706-0111. We've got a few minutes left if you'd like to get in. And then we have mostly the the open phone lines in hour number two. We will be talking with Gary Broadhead, UL women's basketball coach, and we'll be talking more basketball in the next hour. But I want to finish this quarterback conversation. So there are a lot of Saints fans that keep talking about Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker. I just, you know, you know me, I am not a rookie quarterback guy at all. I mean, I don't even know how to begin to, to what to think about getting a guy who's coming off a major injury who didn't finish. I mean, it's hard enough to say, I'm going to take a chance on a rookie quarterback than to come off with one who's coming off a season-ending injury. You know, he's talking like he's ready, but they talked about how ready Michael Brantley was, and now we're at spring training, and they're already talking about he's not ready. What do you think of Hooker? So I, I like the player, and I like the idea of bringing him in if you got Derek Carr or another veteran quarterback as, like, this project. But there's a couple things against that. Number one, he's 25, so he's not like a, a young quarterback prospect that you have a ton of time. Now, not to say he can't play, you know, have a long career, but he's 25, so you're talking about if you give him, if you let him sit a year or two, he's talking about 26, 27 years old. Now, maybe... There's a good side of that, and you say, well, maybe he's further along than most quarterbacks would be that you draft, given that he's 25 years old. But I think that matters. Like, And we saw that Brandon Whedon got selected really high when he was, what, 27 because he had played minor league baseball. And it didn't work out at all, and he wasn't given a whole lot of time because of how old he was. So that's something that my biggest concern is the age and the health and how ready he would be. And obviously, no matter, I'm with you for the most part. I think when it's a top-five guy, there's times where maybe they're ready to just play him. Um, I don't want to start a rookie quarterback, especially with a roster that's pretty much, you know, can, can we've talked about it. They don't have a ton of holes. They can be pretty good this year. If you start a rookie quarterback, you're kind of throwing the season away. And then, again, you'll with some of these veterans, you might have to end up tearing it down. So do you want to start a rookie quarterback, throw this season away, and then throw away a couple more because you have to re, you know, reorganize oh. the roster with the veterans and stuff like that? And, and again, at that point, Hooker's going to be 28, 29 years old. So that's my concern with it. Well, look, I don't want a rookie quarterback, but I, I have to partially disagree. Like, if they get Derek Carr, they better not draft a quarterback. Like, I don't even want to – if you get Derek Carr, the I, I mean, I don't like rookie quarterbacks, but I really don't like rookie backup quarterbacks because then you're – if you don't have, if your starter is Derek Carr and he gets injured, he say he plays well for five or six games, he gets hurt. The la- and, and your team is actually doing pretty well. The last thing you want is some guy who's never played football to be thrown in there. I mean, I would want at least a backup quarterback who's been in the league and played in NFL games before. 
I, I don't want a rookie backup. I can see that. The counter-argument and the, and, the, and the logic and the path that I like is the Aaron Rodgers path, the Patrick Mahomes path, the Jalen Hurts path. These guys who got drafted weren't forced into bad situations, were there to sit there for a year or two, and then in a guy like Mahomes' case, even when they had a pretty productive quarterback still on the roster, proved that they were like, look, we can't wait around. This guy's ready to play, and they insert him. That's That would be my point there. But, yeah, no, there's there's a situation in which – you bring in a guy like Hooker now, I guess you wouldn't use a first or second round pick, but there's a situation where you can bring that guy in and even make him the third string quarterback for a year. But just... don't you think that Derek Carr, it, let's say the Saints or whoever signs, could be at least a four-year deal, or am I fooling myself here? Yeah, it would seem like that's probably what he wants, too. Uh, the only situation is if Carr, which it, it sounds like he wants a long-term deal, the only situation is if maybe he really wants to bet on himself and sign a one-year deal and then try oh, and I prove it and come that. back. I don't think he would do that, yeah. especially with the injury you know, chances and the things like that. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, it would probably be a three- or four-year deal. So that, that does make sense. <sighs> Man. The uncertainty just is so debilitating for us. It's just... I, um, look, if they don't get anyone... Like, if they don't get Derek Carr, and again, I guess you could throw Jimmy G in there, but I, I just, I don't know why. I've just never thought he was an option for the Saints. But maybe I'm wrong there. But if they don't get an established veteran quarterback, and they want to, I, I, as I've said, I've always been anti-rookie. If they don't get an established veteran quarterback, I'm willing to listen to the rookie quarterback thing. And I guess if you're going to get a rookie, getting an older one like him is better than getting some kid who's 20 or 21 that you didn't, you know, that it's not that you're drafting in the late first round or second, early second round. I, I don't know. I just hate. <clears throat> to me, you just you're just opening yourself up for total disaster. Because if he's overwhelmed or physically not ready, then what do you do? You better you better have at least someone at least as good as Crawfish as the backup. Taysom Hill times activated at that point. That's the second time you've thrown that. And look, uh, I, there are plenty of times last year where I was like, I think we'd just be better throwing putting Batman at quarterback. At least he would get touches because he's not getting touches right now. Even though I think I still think he's got more touches. Than, than he did when uh, when Casper was there other than when he was a starting quarterback. Just what a mess. I just can't wait till that whole issue is over with. One hour down, another word to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337 706-0111. The hotline is open for the next two segments, and we will be speaking with UL women's coach Gary Broadhead. His Cajuns will play a double, will begin a doubleheader tonight at 5 at the Cajun Dome. Again, a big Wednesday. It's kind of a shame 
that this schedule worked out that way. Um, you know, it has to do with the opponent that they're playing. It, it <clears throat> you know, it's a shame with the basketball team playing such big, important games that they wouldn't be at the same time with baseball. But uh, you know, I guess it happens sometime. It's uh, kind of a, a of a shame. But and we'll talk basketball a little more um, in this hour. We talk mostly baseball and softball and the Saints and the quarterback situation in the first hour. <clears throat> the Pelicans, <clears throat> you know, they, they had a break. Anywhere you go on the road in the NBA, it's going to be somewhat of a challenge. So their first two games, they start out on the road at Toronto. And then a couple days later, they go play the Knicks. The Knicks have been better than most people, I think, thought the first half. Toronto, I guess, about the same. Toronto right now is kind of like at that, you know, maybe get into the play-in, maybe not kind of place uh, in the Eastern Conference. But just about anybody you play on the road, you got a, probably a little bit better than a 50% chance of losing, even if it's a mediocre team. Like, they're right around 500, the Raptors. So it's not like they're a really, really bad team. Uh, they're not really, really good, but still they're, you know, within shouting distance of 500 and they're playing at home where they're well above 500. So, you know, tricky. If you could get a split here, I guess as a Pels fan, you'd be happy. You just want to see some life. You know, it's always tricky. I know for baseball around the all-star break, if you don't have a bunch of guys play in the all-star game, you never really know how that team is going to come back. Sometimes you can go into the all-star break hot and come back not hot. Uh, or you could go in kind of weary and come back refreshed. So I'm sure Pell fans obviously are hoping that the Pelicans are refreshed after the all-star break. And we will see. So that, that'll be something to keep an eye on basketball-wise. There, before we get to the matchups for basketball tonight, uh, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the matchups. I did do a little bit of a, a homework, Kevin. Uh, y'all y'all going to be happy to hear this. I don't think there's no way we're going to be we're gonna be hooking up with South Alabama in the first round or second round. Now, tell me why you think that. Well, they're going to have a hard time moving up. The two teams above them, Troy is one game above them, and they they got a couple of winnable games, at least one for sure. And they split between them two, and ODU's ahead of them, and ODU beat them the one time they played. So they're going to have a hard time passing both of these teams. And if we lose to them, or even if we win, the way it's going to be, they would have to be almost the, uh, the five seed for us to play them. So I'm, 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 no, I'm that, that, that's a really good thing. Alabama Look, yeah. South but, Alabama, by the way, I've been trumpeting them since the beginning of the year. But they've won six out of seven now. So, like, whatever their issues were early, they've kind of fixed it. I I, I don't I, – I think South Alabama's better than Troy, better than ODU, better than a lot of teams that are ahead of them. So I'll jump in here. The, the thing that concerns – not concerns me, but – because, again, I don't know if it matters too, too much because I think all three of those teams are pretty good. But you, you're likely not going to play them as the 5-4. But if you jump up to, like, let's say the 2 
and they end up as the seven, you could still end up lined up against them because if you, if, you know, there's still a good chance if Marshall loses one of these games and you have the tiebreaker. Marshall so, has two challenging right, games. So there's still a chance that you line up with them. But, yes, it's not super likely. But, again, like but, you're going to have to play one of those pretty good teams in that round. Yeah, but you see, if we beat them, they ain't going to be the seventh seed. They're going to drop out. See, that's another thing you got to consider, too. Yeah. So if we move it up to the two, they're dropping down. They I'm could drop to eight, but, but the they could stay seven. The only way we can them is if they move up, but they're going to have a hard time moving up, even though they beat us because of the uh, the teams ahead of them. That's what I'm trying to say. I kind of looked at all the angles right there. That's what y'all were complaining about last uh, Monday. Or oh, I don't, I don't want to play them. I don't want to play them or Georgia. Not, not that the Cages can't beat them because they've beaten both teams. But but it, it was by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, and, 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 and the Cages were playing much better than, than they are now. And look, that big man didn't play that game against us either. Correct. <laughs> and he's back. And he's, a, I think he's the reason why they, because he's a rim protector, and that's the reason why they've been tearing it up. And they, they made, they, they made more, uh, Southern Miss look like a bad team. Oh no, I'm, I'm. Look, I, I, I like the Cajun men's chances of winning tonight. Well, on paper, I like both teams' chances of winning tonight. But, but Friday is, you know, that South Alabama game. I think it's going to be a good one. I, I still say that was from, you know, buzzer to buzzer. To, Tip to buzzer, whatever you want to call it, was probably the best game of the season so far, most exciting. And uh, I think it's going to be another one of those on Friday, and that's good because it's on uh, ESPN too. Yeah, well, don't you think if we win this game tonight, maybe it's uh, kind of wise for Marlon uh, uh, to rest these people a little bit, take some minutes off Brown, take some minutes oh, off Brown. I, I don't know no. if he thinks that way. Also, you got to remember, uh, which we'll see what happens. But if Southern Miss loses, the regular season title will still be in play on Friday night, going into the night. So, yeah, and they're going to lose too. They're going to they play at OTU. They're going to lose. So, and I mean, not that it matters that much, but they've been trumpeting. We want to go undefeated at home since the beginning. And I got to be honest, when they first said that, I'm like, that's not going to happen. Well, here we are, the final week, and it's still possible. So, I, I, especially if they win tonight, I think they're going to go for it. All right, well, they better win tonight, though. Yes. They'll have a good one. Yes. Arkansas State, to FedEx man's point, Arkansas State has one road win all season. That was at ODU in the first game. And I remember seeing that score the very first conference date of the of the Sun Belt season. And I'm like, how did Arkansas State want at ODU? I'm like, what? And that was their only road win all season. So, yeah, they need to win tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I would be like fully I would be on board to say I felt like there was no chance they were gonna lose this game if it wasn't for the Little Rock game in seventeen eighteen. That's the that's the game this kinda reminds you of if you want to compare it. It would be like a game where a team that's pretty bad comes in with basically no shot. Oh no, but this team's better than that Little Rock team. I think. Yeah. That's fair, you know, they, and they, they have some they, guys. That's the weird thing too. I mean, you know, the the guy from Egypt's in the big the big man. He's pretty talented player, and Fields is a good guard. I guess they really don't have the depth that they need, and that's kind of hurt them, especially. Ford on some is of their coming road games. off a big game where he scored twenty some points, and he scored twenty some points in the first game. I'm surprised that they've in lost as many games as yeah, they have. Yeah, I, I don't know why they're so bad on the road. I I, I don't you know. I, Obviously, don't follow Arkansas State basketball all that closely, but I don't know why exactly they've been so bad on the road this season. But they are not an inept team. I, I don't. I don't believe that at all. I, I think they're, 
you know, they've got a couple players that have been there for a while. Um, they're capable of making a bunch of three-pointers, and they made a fair amount. You know, in that first road game, the Cages turned it over a lot. You know, they've had some games this year where they turned it over. They turned it over more than Arkansas State did. Um, they just, um, you know, did a lot of other things very well. Now, they had a tough time guarding Jordan. Jordan had 31 points and 13 rebounds in that game, and the Cajuns dominated the boards in that game. So if that happens again, then, you know, I mean, I expect them to win this game, but I I think on paper anyway, this team has a little more talent than that Little Rock team. And, uh, you know, that, that game, I was, I mean, I remember covering that game and it was like, cannot believe this is happening. Yeah, but I mean, it happened. I- well, I was I was kind of talking with RP3 in the first show because I was a freshman that year at UL. So I went after that season. I was like, oh, we don't lose basketball games. We're never going to lose. And <laughs> uh, and I went to New Orleans for the Sun Belt tournament, and it was just you know it was a whole thing. We don't have to get into that right now. But yeah, that game was so weird. And then they fought back and forced overtime, and you thought, okay, well they're going to dominate overtime, and then they they lost they pretty handily in overtime. Right. It wasn't even so. That was a weird game. No, I I, I thought about that game. Not comparing the teams, but just the situation of winning everyone until the very last one on Friday. You know, the South Alabama team is a little scary. Now, the thing that you want to see tonight is you'd like to see them make free throws. At least I would. Um, you'd like to see them keep turnovers down to a manageable number, and you'd like to see them get back in a rhythm where they can get more wide-open threes than they've been getting. Uh, and, and, you know, because they had so much trouble talking about Arkansas State with defending Jordan in the first game, maybe they won't be as um, adept at having a way to kind of defend the case. Seems like It seemed like the teams in the second half are defending – the Cajuns better than they did in the first round. And so the Cajuns have to prove that they have a little bit of a counterattack here, and hopefully they they they, they can do the night. Um, finishing at the rim is something Coach Marlin mentioned on Monday. I mean, Jalen knocked out, had a nice little three-point run there at James Madison on Saturday, but once again he had two more shots where just to lay the ball in and it's just not going in, they got to start finishing at the rim in addition to making free throws. Yeah, the um, I and I think Coach Marlin actually touched on that, right, um, coming up with a couple of new things as far as the way teams have defended them the second time around. Yes. And that's interesting to me too because, of course, in the tournament, unless you play App State, you're going to play somebody you've played before in every game you play. Um, so that's that's obviously important. Now, th- these two are interesting to me because this is uh, – it might not be the first, but I believe it's the first time you're playing teams where the first time it was on the road and now you're playing them at home. So I think that had something to do with some of the struggles because every time they had played a team the second time, they had played them at home and beaten them, and then they had to go to right. Southern Miss, and they had to go to Troy, and they had to – so I think that could help you. But to that point, if they look really – if they struggle tonight, even if they win the game but they struggle – then that's the point now where okay you're at a you're, it's a home game against a team at the bottom of the league you might say yeah this team has a legitimate problem reacting to the adjustments that opponents make so hopefully they they come out and look pretty strong and the other thing you want to see is play strong in the second half 
because they really it's really been four straight games where they haven't. Now again, they didn't play poorly. I didn't think at James Madison, but they still it was the game was tied at half and they lost it in the second half. So they still they've gotten outscored in the second half for four straight games and. Like, again, one of them was a blowout win, and so you don't worry about that as much. But they still did not play well against Monroe in the second half at all. I mean, they were up by 30-something, and then they cut it to, what, nine or some, ten at one point. And so um, you want them to see them play well in this in, in the second half. So, you know, we'll see. Coach Moreland also said some money. He feels like his team is built for what's about to happen in these next two weeks. We'll see. I mean, you know, I think they have enough depth. I don't think depth is an issue. They just, it's just, it's, I think it's more of an, the the X and an O coming and going and figuring out what teams have done to, done to them now and can they respond once they get to Pensacola. I think the only depth question is if Jordan gets in foul trouble early, that could be an issue because they've seen they've struggled a little bit when they've run out with a lineup that has Richards and Charles. Um, so if Brown and really if Brown and Lewis somehow both find themselves in foul trouble in the same game, then you're really in trouble. So that's something. Now they've done a great job. It hasn't really happened much. Um, Jordan at JMU, and then you know a couple times they haven't really both gotten in foul trouble. I think they're both pretty smart about how they play defense and knowing that, but. That's the only depth issue, but yeah, the guard guard wise, and you know, even at the forward spots with Kobe, I you think be the fine. dynamic changes. Like in the Troy game at home, when Jordan didn't play, they came out and played great without him. Uh, I think their their whole approach to offense changes if Jordan's not in there, and they rely more on the guards. Now at that point, it it comes down to are they going to hit their three pointers in that in that situation? We'll see. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. The game hotline, 706-0111, if you would like to get in. Uh, we talked about Cajun baseball in the first hour. We talked Cajun basketball just now. LSU obviously had in baseball. You know, they're off to a 4-0 start. Not a surprise. Against Western Michigan and then Southern, they scored 18 runs yesterday. You know me, if it's the Astros, uh, I'm never a big fan of doing that ever. But uh, you probably can get away with it if you're LSU playing against Southern. They will be going to the Round Rock Classic this weekend, playing kind of a strange schedule of teams that they're playing. Like, they're playing Kansas State at 2 o'clock on Friday. Then they're playing Iowa at noon on Saturday, and then Sam Houston, you know, a little more regional at 4 o'clock on Sunday. Then they're kind of doing what the Cajun softball team did, hanging around a day or two and playing at Texas on Tuesday evening at 6.30. So, you know, 
Playing Texas at the Round Rock Classic makes sense. Playing Iowa and Kansas State is just kind of weird. Yeah, I was. I thought like so. Last year, the Round Rock Classic clearly went for like the best teams they could find. They had Arkansas in there. They had Stanford. Um, and then maybe I don't know if you'd call you all the best team they could find, but it was a very strong field. This year, you have that one kind of marquee team in LSU, but then it kind of feels like they just kind of pulled out of a hat to pull the rest of these teams. I mean, I guess you had the one local team in Sam Houston that's that's fairly regional. The marquee team in LSU, but then yeah, Kansas State and Iowa, just kind of a random. Uh, and Sam Houston's really good teams. at baseball. Yeah, has a pretty good program. Yeah, so um, it will be interesting to see, but I still don't think we're gonna find out everything. We we already know LSU's, you know, an elite team. I think we'll find out how elite they are when they get to SEC play. I don't see any series before that that is really gonna they tell play you like too, too much. Butler in Central Connecticut. State. Yeah, there's just not a. Which that's what I kind of said on RP3. I guess when you play through the grind of an SEC schedule, they didn't feel the need to go out and play teams, which I guess I kind of understand. Well, it's kind of what Coach Deggs talked about um, when his schedule kind of got revamped a little bit. Because the, and obviously the Sun Belt's not as strong as the SEC, but the Sun Belt is stronger in baseball than it is in any of its other sports. Like, especially now that they've added Southern Miss. Um, you know, they've got a lot of teams that are top 50 teams in the Sun Belt now. And so they feel like they don't, they can get enough RPI from playing Texas State and, and uh, you know, Georgia Southern and Southern Miss, the other teams that they're going to play in, in South Alabama, teams like that. They don't need to get RPI from their non-conference. Although, again, BYU could be a top 50 team. They they were a little ahead of the Cajuns last year. And Campbell probably is. Campbell beat a, a <coughs> nationally ranked East Carolina team last night, so that's another. Yeah, Campbell is another. They don't. Those two teams may not sound like elite baseball programs, but they're legitimately top 50 to 60 programs, which will help your RPI. But, but still, it's not as tough as it was last year when you were playing Southern Miss and Arkansas and Stanford and Irvine and uh, there was somebody else that they played that was really good that slips my mind right now. But anyway, they, um, we'll, 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 you know, so I get why L- it's not just LSU that does this. Teams all softball and baseball teams in the major power conferences all over the country. Now softball tends to play a tougher schedule, like you know the Alabamas and Arkansas's and UCLA's were that tournament this weekend. Uh, that the Cajuns were at, and a lot of them played against one another, Florida State. But a lot of teams will just play a bunch of home games in non-conference and and then get into their conference. So we'll see. You know, it's it's it just you they can afford to do it, so they do it. It's kind of like the LSU women's basketball schedule this year. You know, they they didn't play anybody before conference, but they didn't need to, and so it might bite them a little bit in that they might get. You know, not be a number one or two overall seed, but it's not going to bite them that much. It's, it's, it's with all the games that they're going to win. So, no, we won't get a good indication, but I think we already kind of know how good LSU is. Um, Iowa. I don't. Can you name a baseball player ever who played at Iowa? I mean, I probably know some. And as you say, well, so-and-so play. Oh, yeah, I know him. But I don't – off the top of my head, I don't know if I can name a baseball player that I know that went to Iowa in baseball. 
Not off the top of my head. I'm sure I know some because it's not like I was a little bitty school. I'm sure they produced a few major leaguers. I just don't know on this side of the fence. They're from mine. That's one of the things I really <clears throat> back in the days when we had media guides, when the Cages would play teams over the years, going back to the eighties, I, I I always enjoyed looking at programs like an Iowa or a Kansas State or whatever the program that the Cajuns were playing and, and seeing who made it to the major leagues that I may know from those programs because we just don't know a lot about college baseball, especially back in the 80s like we know basketball and football teams. I just looked at their draft picks since 2014 in baseball, and I can't tell you a name that I recognize. Well, I was thinking it would probably have to be older. like we, It would probably have to be like Iowa, former Iowa players in the major leagues like back in the 60s or 70s or something. I don't know. Just, it's just something I always enjoy doing just because, again, we, we if you're a football fan, you kind of know, especially if you follow the draft at all over the last 30 years, and even basketball, if they played at any kind of a good program or an NCAA tournament, we kind of know. But so many baseball fans, now baseball is a much bigger deal and it's on, on ESPN and other networks now over the last 10 to 15 years, it's a lot different, but back in the 80s and 90s you just didn't you know, you just didn't follow baseball nationally a whole lot, so you don't know guys who came from this program or that program, so you know, now you know a whole lot more of them because it's on TV a whole lot more uh, and it gets discussed a whole, whole lot more, but it was kind of a cool exercise to do Way back when. But uh, nevertheless, again, they play Kansas State, Iowa, Sam Houston, and then Texas. But, I mean, those are, that's a pretty good four-stretch of games, so you'll get a pretty good indication of, um, of you know, the kind of baseball they're playing and who's doing well and, and not doing well. And, again, the Cajuns open up tonight against a really good BYU team, 6 o'clock tonight at Russo Park, right smack dab in the middle of, the basketball doubleheader, but that's just it happens. So uh, I don't mean to be piling on Iowa baseball right now, and you can't come up with one. I mean, you might have known, you might know some of these names. I won't go through all of them because it's a long list. But as far as I've just checked, and this is BaseballAlmanac.com, they have never had a player play more than four years in the major leagues. Wow, how weird is that, huh? They've got a whole, you know, they've Man. got. Let's see, it's twenty-five <clears throat> guys who've played in the big leagues, but. Nobody more than four years. Nick Allgaier was the last one from 15 to 18. Um, and that four-year stretch, there's a few other guys who have it tied with four. Um, but that's nobody more than a like four-year stretch. Like, who's the most, the one that you think more people would know than any of them? Like, uh, maybe recency-wise, like 97 and 99, Wes Obermuller. Remember him, yeah. Um, is that Jim, the most famous name ever? Jack Bruner in the 40s. That name somewhat sounds like I don't, but I don't think. So. He played from 46 to 49. Another guy That's who it? ties the record with four years. Four-year stretch. Again, I don't, if, if Baseball Almanac is correct here on their numbers, um, University of Iowa Hawkeye Major <coughs> League Baseball player Man, It's alumni. worse than I thought then. I yeah, figured they had like, somebody that was like a pretty mainstay guy at the Major League level at some point. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't see a single name that I. <laughs> that's that's amazing. And again, I mean, if if not if they didn't play for more than four years, then of course they're not going to be like a you know a legendary player or anything. So right. Um, 
Matt Dermody from 10 to 13 is another one of the recent ones. I mean, I've heard his name, but I couldn't tell you anything. But so they've only got – now, I don't know what the uh, qualification is to be on this list, but it says it says made it to the major league level. Yeah. But they've only got two guys since 2000 that have played in the major leagues. So, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I never thought Iowa was a ba- baseball school or anything, but, yeah, you, you know. you figure one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of strange. And, I mean, they've been playing a long time. Their first one's from 1904, Maury Kent. So they've got over 100 years of baseball history, but they haven't uh, – <laughs> they're still amazing waiting for that breakthrough player. Really, it, 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 it is. That, that, that is. that is amazing. All right. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana. So you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot On the game, we have with us UL women's basketball coach Gary Broadhead. How are you, sir? Doing great. Good morning, Kev. You weren't at Monday's presser, and I made the comment again, and I made it to you on the air earlier this season. It is amazing to me how much more patient Gary Broadhead is than I am right now. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's crazy what therapy does for you, man. <laughs> it's really good for you, man. I, I recommend it to everybody, especially coaches, man, especially because they need it. But it's been a good thing for me, you know. You change as you go, and you change according to, you know, your teams and all that and what they need, you know. If you, you know, if you're really involved like I do, I mean, to me it's my mission. Uh, I love coaching and all that. So, you you know, you change to – to make sure that you're taking care of what the needs of your team is. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Because, you know, you lost the game at Arkansas State, and, and I'm you know, it wasn't good, and yet their Coach Deacon was just telling us all the positives from that loss. Yeah, and that's what I – you know, I don't know who the staff reporters are, but they wrote an article about we just scored two points, but they forgot to put that – we cut it to six with two minutes left, and we came back and scored forty-seven points the second half. So you know, it's not everything. Uh, it, it, the game started really bad, but man, it, we really finished strong. You know, so that's the positive thing to me is like, hey, we got a team that don't quit. You know, and I, I like that about our team. You know, we we did a lot of, and man, there was a couple of plays along the way that man that you know missed a layup. We forced a, a you know we. We threw a turnover that could have made the whole difference. We missed nine free throws. There was a lot of things that happened that we could have easily won that game and come back from a, you know, down twenty-seven. Which oh, no question. Crazy. I mean, you're down. Look, like you said, you're down thirty-one to four, and you could have won the game. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it could yeah. have happened, which would have been amazing. I do think Arkansas State is becoming. You know, I've been saying on the men's side, you don't want to play South Alabama in the tournament. I don't know that you really want to play Arkansas State in the tournament right now. No, you're right. I see offensively. You know, I talked to the coach before the game, and I'm like, what's, what's the deal? Y'all playing really well. And I said, well, we're finally healthy. 
you know, most of the kids that were playing kind of banged up and all that, they felt that they're healthy. They're shooting the ball well, and, man, they shoot it well at their place too. So, that, I mean, that's a plus. I remember a few years ago when they were really good, we lost to them by 50 there, and then we turned around. That was on a Saturday, last last game of the se- uh, conference season, go to the tournament, play them on Tuesday, and lost at the buzzer on a shot. So, you know, they play really well at home. It's a, they, 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 really, they shoot it really well at home. So I'm guessing that Texas State's about this Texas State group is about tired of playing the Cajuns. Uh, y'all won by 20 when y'all played in San Marcos. Y'all beat them in the tournament last year. So I'm sure they're going to be extra fired up. But can you kind of describe what is it about this matchup seems to work out so well for y'all most times? You know, it's, uh, I think because we're a defensive team, we're able to kind of put pressure on them. Their point guard is really, really good. You let her do her thing, and, and she controls the whole offense, you know. And So I think that's one of the things that we've done. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on her. We know how good – we know how important she is to them. So And we don't know important how important a point guard is, especially her. She gets everybody going, and that's when they're scoring in the 80s, when she can get everybody going. So we really, we really focus on trapping her. We focus on pressuring her. We focus on, you know, her in general. And then, you know, we switched up on the way we guard screens, you know. I mean, the Hood can shoot it. So, you know, instead of just trapping her, the point guard, we switch on, on, on those screens. So we're doing some things, I think, that kind of take out their strengths. You know, and and she is the main strength to me. You know, I know she's a small point guard, but man, she's good. All right, so it's strange because you you know you're you're currently tied for six. You're trying to get at least into the top four, and but you've got two home games: uh, Texas State tonight, Southern Miss on Friday. But also, I mean, you won't be able to do this because you're watching the game. But guys like. Me and Dawson, when we're watching the game tonight, we'll be able to monitor the other games that are going on, like Troy and Southern Miss and like ODU uh, and Marshall. What do you think of those matchups? Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, I, that's going to be some tough games, man. I think every, I mean, for us too, you know, we're playing two of the top teams, but we, you know, I think we match up really good for them, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now and it's like, man. You know, we got to take care. We got to win both of them. And you win both of them, I think the tiebreaker for Texas State will be taken care of. I don't know about Southern Miss, but then depending on what Old Dominion does now, you know, Old Dominion, you know, so there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. But, you know, we just got to win, you know. You got to win those two, and then you, you 12 and 6. Uh, and then, you know, you see how, see how you fall. But I, I feel good about if we could win our two this week. And it starts tonight. You're right, man we don't do it tonight, then it's just going to be a tough situation for us to even you know, to get a bond. It was funny. Gary kind of, I mean, uh, Coach um, Bob Moreland mentioned it on, on, on Monday as well, and it's something that you, you and I have talked about for years. It's really going to, especially because y'all play good defense in most games, it's really going to come down to layups and free throws in. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. Oh, like you say, stick backs. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, you know, and, and, you know, that's one of the things that we really worked on this week is trying to spend some extra time getting a little bit more confident in the free throw line. It's going to be important. You know, and I think when you, when you get into the tournament, I think that's why I've always felt we did pretty good is because it's a lot about defense because the offense doesn't always show up when there's a lot of pressure. 
you know, when you when you want and done in the tournament, you know, you, you you have a little bit more pressure on the offensive side, I think, and the defensive side. You just show up, man. You you're playing hard, and you know hey, it's a do or die situation. That's why I like uh, our chances when we go into the tournament. How would you kind? How do you kind of sense your girls are thinking and feeling? Uh, you know, coming off that loss on Saturday, but also like knowing that, yeah, you lost, but but you've got these two home games, teams that you one you did beat, the other one you very closely and probably should have won, and, and just the the pressure of these two home games. Yeah, you know, we talked about it uh, all week. You know, coming actually coming back from Arkansas State and the fact that man, we have a great opportunity, and I think they're ready. You know. I think that, you know, maybe sometimes a loss can help you to kind of get refocused on, you know, and and know the importance of these next two games. So I, that's kind of what I see, you know. I see that they're a little bit more focused and they know that, hey, this situation right now, we know we're going to get in the tournament, but, man, we can put ourselves in a better position by getting those buys. So I feel pretty confident that they, you know, they're locked in. You know, we're going to need everybody to – to step up too, and I think you know practice has been going good, and that's all you can ask, you know. Hey, but they, you know, good kids—they're going to work hard and they're going to play hard. You know, it's going to be, and it's always good to be at home. You know, that travel stuff is just—it's—it's it's, it's brutal this year. So, so this will be a good te- test for us to see if we can kind of finish strong. All right. So something else that Coach D can mention is that y'all played after the men on Saturday first of all why is that but second of all it limits your time on the court before the game which is more like it is when you get into the like the Sunbelt Conference tournament in Pensacola talk about that situation yeah you know I, I we, we couldn't figure out why we played after it was something about travel but then you know uh, they, they talked about how uh, you know the flights and you know they that's how they do it uh and they switched it, you know, for us to play after. And I, I didn't really, I didn't really understand it because the team that played before us didn't fly out to the next morning. I and mean, then we had a nine-hour bus trip, man. It was just, it was brutal coming back. So, you know, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. And then I talked to one of the game day uh, people, and they just said they switch it. If if one of them play early on Thursday, uh, they switch it to the Saturday, which. Uh, didn't make a lot of sense. I know Brian Boyer, the coach that used to be there, loved to play later. So I don't know if that's the same concept that they're trying to do. But, uh, yeah, I kind of wish we would have played at 2 o'clock. But it did give us an opportunity. You got 30 minutes. That was hard. You know, it's kind of, man, how are you going to handle? There was no place to warm up, to stretch and all that. And so, we, you know, we, you know our time on the court was 20 minutes instead of 30 minutes because we, we were stretching and all that on the court. So it was different, and I think that kind of hurt us at the beginning because it took us a while. Usually we are an hour and a half. We, we'll go an hour and a half before, and we start shooting and all that. So it was a big change. But it, you're right. It's like the tournament, you know. It's going to be in the tournament. You usually got 30 minutes. But at, over there, you know, in Pensacola, you'll have a place to stretch and all that. There's a place in the back where you can start. So you really get 30 minutes on the floor. But, uh, yeah, it's just like the tournament. All righty, sir. Well, we look forward to seeing you all tonight. Good luck, and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you very much for your time. All right, Kev. Thank you, man. Go Cajuns. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. Again, we've got this is the last opportunity. If you would like to get in, 706-0111. Do want to correct something. We mentioned earlier about the Iowa situation. Um, Jim Sunberg was a longtime catcher, defensive catcher for the Rangers. Mike Boddicker is probably the most famous ex-Iowa. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to offer a full 100% apology to the Hawkeye baseball program and anyone across the nation who may have been listening that uh, is associated with Iowa baseball. What, what I was looking at on Baseball Almanac, which I guess is it, it's fully my fault for reading yeah. it wrong, but they have dates played listed next to the MLB history, but it's their college dates played right. in Iowa, and then their Major League debut dates are at the end, so that wasn't visible to me. But right. That's on me. So there are there have been several Iowa players who have played more than four years in the big leagues, but that also makes sense why it was four years for all of them right. because it's all college baseball players. Uh, again, I, I, Mike Boddicker is probably the most famous pitch for the Orioles, uh, mostly uh, Jim Sunberg, long time, mostly a defensive catcher for the Rangers, and Cal Elder was a pretty good pitcher in, in the major leagues. Bull Porter, who actually was – an Astros manager for a little while, and you might see him on uh, MLB Network here and there still. Um, also played, he didn't have a long major league career, but he's a because he was a manager um, and he's on MLB Network, he's, he, he also played at Iowa. So, no, again, that's just part of the coolness of what I was talking about is, you know, most of us don't, most of us, I, you came up to me this morning and said, where did Jim Sunberg play his College baseball, I wouldn't have known. Even Boddicker, I don't think I would have known that. So that's just something cool. All right, getting back to basketball, I mentioned on the girls' side, or on the women's side, there's going to be some interesting matchups to kind of follow as tonight's doubleheader at the Cajun Dome is unfolding with the men and women. Also on the men's side, Southern Miss at ODU. Hmm. Wouldn't be a shock right there if something happened there. Marshall at James Madison. Very interesting matchup. I guess Cajun fans should be pulling for James Madison, theoretically. Again, yeah, it doesn't fully matter. If you win both your games, you'll be higher than one of them. But, uh, yeah, I would say that one makes a little bit more sense. But we talked about it a little bit. Southern Miss goes to Texas State. Now, Texas State hasn't been playing great basketball, but there's, you know, they're still a dangerous team when they're playing at home. So if they do lose tonight, we've kind of lost track of – not lost track, but we haven't been talking as much about the regular season title opportunity because it is still a long shot. But it's not that long of a shot when you consider they have two tough road games and they looked awful in their one road game last week. So if let's wait until you know the Old Dominion game happens tonight. But if the Golden Eagles happen to lose that game and the Cajuns handle their business, we'll have a pretty good conversation heading into Friday night's games. Um, and then Troy at Monroe tonight. I mean, ULM at times has played really well. So, I mean, I wouldn't be totally shocking if they won that game at all. 
wouldn't be shocking at all if they won that game. So, uh, you know, most Cajun fans aren't overly worried about Troy, but you could, you know. And one more thing to add on the Texas State Southern Miss side of things, which, again, we'll have a chance to go into that further later in the week, but they very likely are going to be playing with an opportunity to maybe jump out of that. Remember the bottom four have to play an extra game in addition, so that's why they're calling it a double bye for the top four. Yeah. They right now are fourth to last, but they're only one game away from both Georgia Southern and ULM. So there's a very good chance Texas State's playing Southern Miss in the last game of the season to try to get out, so they could have a lot to play for as well. So not to say that that's in any near, near happening, but it's something to keep in mind. I just think scoreboard watching is fun. And so if you're a big Cajun fan tonight, women and men, uh, there's going to be plenty of interesting other games in these in this final week that could impact. And then if you're someone like me where your travel plans could be impacted by it one way or the other, then you're really interested in it. So, um, you know, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, when, when I commented to Coach Broadhead about about layups and and free throws. Now, if you're just an awful defensive team, is it possible that the game really will be decided by how many three-pointers you make? But if you're a good defensive team like the Cajuns are, and hopefully the men play good defense as well, because uh, a lot of what Arkansas State does is about it's going to be about defending the three tonight against them. But it really will, for especially for the women, come down to do you make your free throws? And what I mean by layups, you know, sometimes we might call a layup. We might when we think layup, we're thinking, you know, snowbird by yourself. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're you're penetrating into the lane and you're all you gotta do is lay it in. And sometimes it goes off the back rim and comes out. Sometimes you you, you, you put it on the glass and it kind of just rattles off at the last second. It's about finishing really makeable shots. A high percentage look, you might call yeah. it. Yes. So they need, to, they need to finish those. And obviously in the women's game, they miss a lot more of those because they're not playing above the rim like a lot of guys can do. And so it's, it's a lot more missable for them, you know, inside of like the cone area or whatever you want to call it. So – um, but you know, you, you, you gotta be able to make that. And, and to coach Broadhead's point, really, I was watching the game. They were down 31 to four. Like you don't see that score very often. And they were just walking around like nothing was going on. Like they didn't seem overly concerned and they're, you know, they cut it to single digits and had the ball with chances to cut it to three and five and stuff with minutes left to play. And they just would not finish on breaks. They'd get a steal and not finish. That's what we're talking about. They just need to finish, and the men need to do the same tonight as well. And that's why I think dunks can be overrated, underrated sometimes. Because if you now you guys miss dunks too, don't get me wrong. But if you have a chance to dunk it, don't leave it up to whether the ball's gonna hang on the rim and fall on or off. Um, dunk it if you get a chance because theoretically that increases your chances. All right, should be lots of fun tonight. Y'all be safe.